The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Matthew chapter 25 has three parables in it about the end. And they are three parables that contain three pairs of words from Jesus. The first parable we'll hear next week is the parable of the ten virgins, some of whom remembered to bring enough oil for their lamps and others of whom forgot or neglected to bring oil. Listen to the difference between the words that we hear spoken to those virgins. Here is the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. On the one hand, a joyous welcome. On the other hand, here's the other word. Lord, Lord, open to us. I do not know you. I do not know you versus here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. That's the difference between death and life. It happens again in our parable today. Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world versus what Jesus says to the goats. Cursed are you. Depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That difference, that difference between the curse and the blessing from Jesus, that is the difference between life and death. That is the one thing that matters above all. There are all kinds of blessings and curses that we might feel and experience in this life, but none of them compares in gravity to what we will hear on the last day. So let us focus our attention these weeks and at all times to strive that we might hear that blessing. It is not the kind of striving 
that the world does, however, trying to rack up good works, accumulate credits, justify itself, that's not the way that we strive in order to enter eternal life. Instead, we strive, first of all, simply by listening to Jesus. Listen to what he says. A judgment day is coming. That is news that our world does not cherish. You heard it from St. Peter. He goes, know this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They'll say, where is the promise of his coming? He's not here. Like the people of Israel seeing Moses go up the mountain and 40 days have gone by and they think, where is that fellow? We haven't seen him. Jesus must not be coming back. It's been 2,000 years and counting. Maybe he's not coming. Maybe there will be no judgment. And just as when you were in high school and you knew that mom and dad were going to be away for a while, you did all kinds of things you probably shouldn't have done. So the world, when it figures that Jesus is not returning, sets its mind on sinful things, dreadful, wicked things, ungodly things that lead straight to hell. And so Peter warns, do not overlook this fact, dear Christians, that one day, for the Lord is as a thousand years in our sight and vice versa. Time is nothing to God. He could come tomorrow. Christ could return in their next breath. Christ could return 10,000 years from now. What is our charge? It is to watch and stay awake, to be diligent, and to pay attention, to strive, to be found by him without blemish or spot, and at peace. Our first task is simply to listen to Jesus. Judgment is coming, but pay attention to the kind of judgment it is. Our world loves to downplay the thought of hell. In fact, it's not something that you mention in polite company. Talk about hellfire and damnation. That will get you out of a company very quickly. People don't like to hear it, but we should pay close attention to how hell is described in the Bible. But before we get there, let's start by just listening to how God describes judgment in this life for a time. In Leviticus, God is about to bring his people into the land of Israel, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And he says to them, I have all kinds of blessings for you. I'm your God, you'll be my people, and if you listen to my word and follow my commands, all will be well with you, the land will produce abundantly, and you will see how much I love you. But if you disobey, there are curses in store for you. Listen to how God describes these curses. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 14, if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes, and if your soul abhors my rules, so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache, and you will sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues. And that's not all. If still you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again, sevenfold for your sins. I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze, and your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. And then, if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, 
I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. And I will let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number so that your roads shall be deserted. And if by this discipline you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will also walk contrary to you. And I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins, and I will bring a sword upon you that shall execute vengeance for the covenant. And if you gather within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I break your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in a single oven, and shall dole out your bread again by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. And if, in spite of this, you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters, and I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols, and my soul will abhor you, and I will lay your cities waste and will make your sanctuaries desolate, and I will not smell your pleasing aromas, and I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled in it, and I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheathe the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. And if that sounds dreadful to you, which it should, know this, that those are all God's judgments for a time. Those are all temporal, earthly judgments meant to call his people to repentance, the goal in all of that, in handing them over to their enemies, in showing them famine and weakness, in giving them over to this vile behavior of eating the flesh of their sons and daughters. The goal in all of that is that they would repent, that they would turn from their wicked ways and live. That was all judgment for a time. And if that is how God judges his people for a time, how much more, how much more will he judge them for eternity? if they do not repent. You know the pictures in Scripture that we have of what hell is like, a lake of fire burning, prepared for the devil and all his angels, a place where their worm does not is not satisfied, where you are constantly eaten away, where your grief and your anxiety, where your misery, where your guilt weighs on you continually. You can't imagine it. It's impossible. Take your worst day, your worst moment, the worst feeling that you have, your most desperate sensation of separation from God, of separation from goodness and blessings, of hopelessness. Take that and multiply it a thousandfold and more. It's unimaginable. We do well to ponder that. Jesus uses these images to show us how devastating it is. He tells us that story of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus in heaven, sitting by Abraham's side, and the rich man in hell, languishing, desperate, just for a single drop of water to cool his tongue. But that desperation, I think, is nothing in comparison with the fact that it is too late. Now is too late. The time has passed. There's coming a day when no one may repent. Notice how a shepherd sorts the sheep and the goats. By the time the sheep and the goats are lined up in the queue, there's no switching lines. You can't be a goat and pretend to be a sheep. It's not how it works. The judgment will have come. The matters will be settled. And so, 
now. Now is always time for repentance. The day of judgment is drawing near. This is not fear-mongering. This is not trying to produce some sort of an emotional turmoil inside of you. That is what our world does, by the way, with all of its propaganda, with all of the fear-mongering in our world. Take your pick. You can look at the news. You can listen to your neighbors. You can just look out at the world and see all kinds of dreadful things to be afraid of, which are counted as a kind of judgment. Look, the world is going to end in all kinds of different ways if you ask people in this world. There's all kinds of ways this world is going to end according to the people of this world, but not one of them comes close to the judgment of God. Not one of them comes close to the heavens burning and melting as they burn. Not one of them comes close to the wrath of a righteous judge who sees all the way into your heart. There is nothing that will remain hidden on that day. And so we should fear his wrath. We should turn away from sin. We should cling to his promises. We should love the Lord because he does not want you to perish. Why does Jesus tell us these parables? Why does he put before you such vivid and gruesome pictures of judgment? It is because he does not want you to suffer. He wants you to live. He wants you to hear these joyous, precious words from your Savior. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Did you catch that? What he has been doing for you in building this mansion in the heavens for you with many rooms for you is preparing something that was established before the foundation of the world, before you were a twinkle in your parents' eye. Jesus set aside a place for you in his kingdom. He wants you to inherit it. And so he warns you about the coming judgment. Turn away from your sin and live. That's the first thing for us to do in striving to enter into his kingdom. It is to listen to him. Don't listen to the judgments of this world. Whatever the world says about you, whatever they think about you, what you're doing, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, what you do in your families, in your homes, don't listen to them about how you spend your time here in church. Don't believe them. They're wrong. Instead, listen to your Savior who says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Seek first God's kingdom, Jesus says. Now that helps us to make some sense of how this judgment takes place. Jesus separates the sheep and the goats, and then he begins to address them. He turns to the sheep and he says, look at all of these marvelous things that you did. You fed me when I was hungry. You gave me something to drink when I was thirsty. You clothed me when I was naked. You visited me when I was in prison, and so on and so forth. Look at all of these marvelous things you did for me. And it seems as if Jesus is inviting us in that moment to rack up a list of good deeds. So you can show up on the last day with a list in hand, and you can say, see all of the good things that I did for you, Jesus. Please let me in. But notice how things go for those sheep. They're surprised. I had no idea that I was doing such marvelous works. I had no idea that I was feeding you when you were hungry or giving you something to drink when you were thirsty. If I had known it was you, that would have been great. But I had no idea. They are perplexed to hear such praise sung in their favor. Why would they be so perplexed? I think the best way to think about it is this. It's like being a good tree, as Jesus says. A good tree just produces fruit. It doesn't have to try. 
doesn't have to wonder each day, am I going to make apples or oranges? doesn't have to wonder each day, am I going to produce thistles and thorns or good fruit? It simply does it. An apple tree produces apples because it is an apple tree. That is how it is for these sheep. They produce good works because they have been made good by their Heavenly Father. So here's the second thing for you to do in striving to inherit eternal life. And that is to let Jesus make you good. It begins simply in this. Recognizing that without his forgiveness, without his love, without his mercy, you will be like those goats. Lord, I don't know when I neglected you. Lord, I don't know when I didn't help you. Lord, I have no idea what is happening to me. I thought I was doing just fine. Why are you sending me into judgment? Because they never reckoned with the fact that their sins need a savior. They need to be forgiven. But what Jesus does in forgiving you is not just wipe the slate clean. That is what he does. Forgiveness really is a brand new day. But he also gives you a new heart, his own heart. He invites you to think like he thinks, to love the way that he loves, to forgive as he has forgiven you. He invites all of that, he invites you to all of that by means of his word. Reckon with your sins and see how grievous they are. See how the only way out of them is for you to have a savior who forgives them. And then rejoice that you have a Savior who also wants, you to t- wants to teach you to be like him. That is how those sheep were able to produce such good works. And that is how it will be for you. You might think to yourself, maybe I'll have some things in tow, some credit that Jesus will appreciate when I get to eternal life. But here's the promise for you. You will have no idea what he's talking about. You'll simply have done all kinds of marvelous things, good works of love and forgiveness, and you won't have thought about it because it flowed out of you naturally. Because Jesus is your Savior, and he has given you his heart. The key to all of this, again, is simply listening to Jesus. Let him instruct you, let him teach you about the horrors of hell, about your need for forgiveness, about his great love for you. Here's what it cost him. Never tire of thinking about this. Here's what it cost him. To forgive your sins, he died for you. He gave up his blood for you. He suffered those terrors of hell for you. He heard those dreadful words, cursed are you, on your behalf. He did all of that for you so that you could have a clean heart, so that you could produce good fruit, good works, that will follow you into eternity. Rejoice and be glad that your Savior has done this for you. You don't have to be afraid of hell. It should work terror in our bones, but you need not fear it with anxious dread. Hell is not for you. As surely as when Nebuchadnezzar ordered that that fire be heated seven times hotter so that he could throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into it, so also hell has been heated seven times and a thousand times hot for the devil and his angels. But what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They went through the fire. It could not touch them. Neither can the fire of hell touch you. It is not for you. You who trust in your Savior, you whose sins have been forgiven, you who love the way that your Savior has loved you, rejoice and be glad. Mind the days and the hours and the seasons. The time is growing short. The day is surely drawing near. So stay awake. Be watchful. Be vigilant. St. Peter tells us the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion. He wants to deceive you. He wants you to forget all of this. And so labor 
to remember. Listen to your Savior. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.